Well, uh, good morning. My name is uh, Daff. According to, I think it's how they said on Miranda, isn't it? I'm what they call the pastor. And uh, here at uh, church over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a letter by an early Christian leader, the Apostle Paul, to a group of churches in Rome, written about A.D. 57, uh, a letter where he is outlining how there's one good news about Jesus that unites all people, Jew and Gentile, and brings them into a relationship with God. And we've been seeing what it is to live out that relationship. And uh, today, in our Bible reading, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 7, Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 7. If you'd like to have a Bible, we'd love you to have one. I see Steve, Paulina coming around with Bibles. Um, Do grab one off them. It's page 1133 on the Bible being brought around. So if you can't find it in your own Bible, you could get one of these ones, and then at least you'll know what page number it's on. 1133, Romans chapter 7. And Paul here is talking about how is it as Christians we should relate to God's law that he gave to his people in the Old Testament. How do we relate to that, that law given to Moses at Sinai? How do we relate to that? I'm going to pray, then I'm going to read, and then we'll look at this passage together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you're the God who speaks, and we know you speak through your word by the power of your spirit. So now, as we hear your word read, and as I preach it, will we not hear my voice, Lord, all that I say that is not from you cast aside? But would we hear your voice, all that is helpful, all that comes from you, by the power of your Spirit, would it be written on our hearts that we might know truly what it is to live as a child of God in Christ, for his name's sake. Amen. Here comes Romans 7. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone as long as that person lives? For example... By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin... Seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, 
seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which was good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So how bad a person do you think you are? How bad a person do you think you are? I guess most of us are willing to admit we've got a few faults, aren't we? It sounds a little bit arrogant to say we're perfect. We know we're not as good as we should be, but we've grown up in a culture that tends to teach us that we are good people. And we see that in education. We're told to tell our children they're great. And we assume that when our children aren't being great, it's because of an outside influence upon them. You know, they're tired, they've had too many E-numbers, they're not getting the right schooling. So, So the primary principle of modern parenting is affirmation. We all need encouraging to be as good as we really are. And that's why becoming a Christian can be a bit of a shock. Uh, Not just because the Bible tells us that we are by nature bad people, and we've seen that in Romans, so Romans 3.10, there is no one who is righteous, not even one, or Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not just that the Bible says we're basically selfish, it's also that the experience of becoming a Christian It seems to be time and time again one where we feel worse about ourselves. So so I talk to people who who say, well, I've accepted God's forgiving love in the Lord Jesus, and I I thought becoming a Christian was supposed to give me peace. But but it would make me feel better about life. But but I actually feel worse. You see, the thing is, I, I feel guilty about things that never bothered me in the past, you know, I thought, thought I was quite a nice person. 
But the day by day, I keep finding I'm so sinful. I think I might even be more sinful now than, than when I first became a Christian. See, that's the experience of following Christ. Now, that, that was certainly my experience. I've actually had probably the saddest times in my life since becoming a Christian. I've been closest to depression since becoming a Christian. Most despondent about who I am and the way I behave after turning to God's love. So, so how should it feel to follow Jesus? I mean, where do we find the strength to live for him day by day? Well, that's, that's what Paul is addressing in, in Romans 6 to 8, the normal Christian life. And we've seen over the last couple of weeks that God has performed radical heart surgery on us. And not only has he freed us from the punishment we deserve for our sin, but he's also freed us from the power of sin in our lives. That when Christ died on the cross, we were bound to him, and our old selves died with him. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a totally new life. That is summed up in Romans 6.14, where Paul says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. Uh, You're no longer under an external law, a a list of do's and don'ts that we we can't ever keep, but we're under grace. Every moment of every day, like we just sang, we know that God is for us, even though we've been against Him. We know that God loves us, even though we don't love Him. We know that He has bound us to His Son in a relationship that will take us through death and last forever. And last week, Paul described that as being a slave to God. We're to offer ourselves to a loving master who day by day makes us more like our beautiful Savior, Jesus. And in chapter 7, he's got another illustration about what it means to live under grace, not under law. And this is the first thing he says in this chapter. He says, you've got a new life married to Christ. Look at chapter 7, verse 1 again. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, the law has authority over someone as long as that person lives. Uh, whether that's the uh, Jewish Old Testament law or the Roman law, the point's the same. You have to obey it unless you're dead. And when you're dead, you don't have to keep the law anymore. No more speeding tickets once you're dead. And then Paul says, it's a bit like marriage. Let me illustrate it to you. When you're married to someone, there's a law that binds you together. So if you go off and are joined to someone else in a sexual relationship, we call you an adulteress. But if your husband dies, well, you're not bound to him anymore. Therefore, you're free to go and marry someone else. You can be joined to another. And that's simple enough, isn't it? We all understand that illustration. Here's the application to us, says Paul. Verse 4, So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. See, God's worked a radical change in the way we relate to him when Jesus died. You also died. Now, we've been doing a a bit of English grammar over the past few weeks, and this is another past passive. It's something that happened in the past that God did. He was active. We were passive. We just received this. God put us to death with Jesus at the cross. 
And so says Paul, Christians are not bound to the law as a way of relating to God, but rather we're joined to Jesus. We're married to Christ. And look at the difference between our our old husband, law, and our new husband, Jesus. Uh, Look, verse 5. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so we bore fruit for death. Flesh here isn't talking about skin and bone. It's a word that Paul uses to describe our sinful selves, what we were without Christ. And when we were bound to our husband, law, all that happened was he brought out the worst in us. What happened was that joined to him, we just kept disobeying the law. We produced deeds whose fruit was death. In other words, the law just caused us to want to disobey God more. I've got an Australian friend who illustrates this. He says he was traveling on the train one day, and he saw a sign, do not spit. Before I saw the sign, I had absolutely no desire to spit whatsoever. But as I read it, the spittle began to form in my mouth, and I had no overdaring desire to blob on the floor. I used to have the same problem with those signs on the door, you know, do not lean out the train. They didn't make me want to spit, but they did make me want to stick my head out the window of the train. That's the effect that husband law has on our disobedient, selfish nature. Tell us not to do something, and we want to do it more. But, but look at verse 6, at our husband Christ. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Past passive again. God did this. He released us from the law when Christ died. So so now we serve in newness of spirit, not in oldness of letter. God, when we come to Christ, comes into our hearts by His Spirit. He changes us from the inside out, so now we want to please Jesus. So so law is a nagging husband who, who won't help us. It exposes our our sin within us, but but doesn't help us. Whereas Jesus is the loving husband who dwells in our hearts and changes our desires. Now, if you're not yet a Christian this morning, so many people think that being a Christian is about keeping law, a set of rules or a moral code, and trying to improve yourself according to them. But, But nothing can be further from the truth. See, being a Christian starts by admitting you can't keep God's law and coming into a loving relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ, where He dies to take the punishment that you deserve for breaking God's law, and then He comes into your life to empower you to love Him and to love others. It is Christ who enables you to live life for Him. But but that's not easy to get our heads around. We certainly struggle to get our lives around that. So so Paul imagines in in verse 7 his heckler shouting out. Here's the imaginary heckler. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. He's saying, look, Paul, you're saying the law is a bad thing. Absolutely not, says Paul. No, the law serves a very important purpose. And here's the second thing. An old life exposed by the law. 
You see, we've got a new life married to Christ, but we had an old life that was exposed by the law. Look what Paul says in verse 7, second half. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. You see, law shows me how I live for myself, how I've ignored God, how I've hurt others. It gives me the standards of the Creator who I've disobeyed. And it's interesting here, Paul picks up on the the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. Uh, That's a word simply that means desire, Uh, desiring what other people have. Not in the sort of, oh, I do admire what you've done with your kitchen way, but in the sort of, I need that if I'm going to be happy. In fact, I'm not happy because I haven't got that. In fact, one reason I'm not happy is you have got that and I haven't got that. I want that now. I need that now. Without that, my life is not going to work. It's that attitude of the heart that that really governs all our behavior, that desire for ourselves. And our desires basically are selfish. I mean, it sounds childish, doesn't it? This sounds childish. I'm not happy unless I get what I want. But, But isn't that basically true of all of us? Are we basically all not happy unless we get what we want? That is that covetous desire. And law exposes what we're like. It shows us how that is the nature of our hearts. Now, some of us are old enough to remember the good old days when the dental nurse used to come to school. You remember her or him? It was usually a her. And uh, she'd come in to get you to brush your teeth. She'd give you that little tablet you had to chew. Do you remember the tablet? Now, before you chew the tablet, your teeth looked basically okay. The odd chip from the playground fight, you know, maybe a bit of a Weetabix stuck in them, but they were okay. But when you chewed the tablet, suddenly they were covered in purple stains because the tablet showed up the plaque, and there was plaque all over your teeth. It was gross. You're like, get rid of the plaque. Well, Well, that's what God's law does, says Paul. It shows you God's standards, and it exposes how far short you've fallen of them. It shows you. You've got a problem between you and God. Law exposes your sin. But but there's another side to the equation. Because look at verse 8. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. See, law exposes your sin, but the sin within you actually exploits the law. The law actually brings my sin to life. Uh, Look how Paul puts it in verse 9. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sin sprang to life and I died. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around a house where the dog controls the owner. We've seen that sort of dog. So imagine you own a a big, vicious Rottweiler. And you're sitting there, quiet, and the dog's sitting at your feet, quiet and happy. And you're alive. And everything's okay, but you're not in control. The dog is only sitting there because it wants to. The moment you try and put a lead on the dog, the dog rages up against you. The moment you want to control it, it comes at you. It goes for you, and you die. Well, that is what Paul says the law does to our sinful nature. Uh, As soon as the sin at the core of our being gets told what to do, 
we're not happy about it. I'm all quite happy pottering along as long as no one's telling us what to do. But, but once someone challenges our self-rule, once God says, look, your desires are not my desires, spring, sin springs to life within us, and we don't want to do it. Um, isn't that what happens in our, our relationships? Even with the people we love the most? So I'll be quite happy driving along, and I'll think, I need to slow down. And I slow down very happily. But if Boo sitting beside me goes, you need to slow down, I don't want to slow down. The last thing in the world I want to do is slow down. I was once talking to a bloke um, in Preston. He came to see me some, some advice. He said, look, Daph, um, I think women make me selfish. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, whenever, whenever I go out with a woman, I'm selfish. He said, well, I'm not going out with a woman. It's, it's fine. I go off and I, I mountain bike on my own in Wales when I want. I hang out with my mates in the pub when I want and I have a drink. And it's great. I'm not selfish. But then when I start going out with a woman, suddenly I find I'm selfish. I just have to get my own way all the time. I said, mate, you're selfish all the time. It's just that when you bring someone else into your life, they have a set of desires that don't actually correspond with yours, and you don't want to do them. And that's the nature of law on our sinful hearts. It's actually been the experience of people since the beginning. What was it that the serpent, the devil, used to tempt Adam and Eve? He says in Genesis 3.1, did, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Let's talk about law, Eve. You know, God's been unreasonable with you. You don't want God telling you what to do. You want to be God in your own life. And the rest of history, the rest of the history of people, has been one of us rejecting the God of love and his good commands to live a self-centered lives that don't work. You see, we must never underestimate the sinfulness of our sin. The, the, the very heart of human nature is a desire for self-rule. We all have sin within. So, so the problem of children is not actually simply nurture. It's primarily nature. Uh, clearly, children need boundaries. Clearly, they need to be told right from wrong. But that will never make them good. Because at the core of all our being is a desire to be bad, to be selfish. Now, I hope that's an encouragement to you if you're a parent. Because even if you're the most consistent parent in the world, even if you have the most biblically thought through set of rules, even if you read the Bible with your kids religiously every night and pray over their cot from the moment they're born, they will be naughty and disobey you because they have sin within. Look how Paul puts it in verse 11. For sin, seizing the opportunity, afforded the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. Sin exploits the law. So I want to disobey. The result is death. Death now, spiritually, dead to relationship with God. Death forever under God's punishment. Verse 12. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. The law exposes sin. It's God's good standards. It shows me what it is to live the good life, a life of love, a godlike life. But I can't do it. So Paul says, verse 13, did that which was good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, 
use what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandments, sin might become utterly sinful. See, the point of the law was not to cure the problem of sin in my heart. It was to diagnose the problem, to, to, to show me I'm a sinner. In fact, the result of law is it, it helps me see how utterly disobedient in the core of my being I am. That's all the law can do. And that's vital to know. And it's utterly vital to know even when you've become a Christian. Because if you don't get that, you will live a miserable life trying to follow Jesus. Here's the last thing to see this morning. It's a wretched life relying on yourself. We have a new life married to Christ. There was an old life exposed by the law, but then Paul talks about a wretched life when you rely on yourself. A bit more English grammar. Verses 13 to Uh, 7 to 13, what we've just been looking at, are all in the past tense. Paul's talking about what it was like before he was a Christian and how the law drove him to Jesus. But verses 14 through to 25 are in the present tense. They're about a, a real struggle Paul is experiencing. And if you look down at verses 14 to 25, just scan through them. I wonder if you can see the repeated words the repeated ideas. Do you see how Paul's just talking about I, 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 me, me, my, and law, law, law? You see, this is what it feels like for Paul, I, to try and relate to God through the law. Now he's a Christian. This is what it feels like for a Christian who looks to themselves and God's standards as the way they have to please God. Look what he says in verse 14. We know the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Literally, I am fleshy. It's that same word. It's translated as sinful nature in verse 18 and at the end of verse 24. Our sinful nature, what we are without Jesus. People who want to rule our own lives. And Paul says, look, the law is spiritual, but I as a Christian, I still have within me that sinful desire, that old self lingering around that still believes that it knows best. And the result is a battle. Look at verse 15. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it's no longer myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know the Good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Isn't that your life? Or am I the only parent here this morning who longs to daily be patient with his children and fails? Or am I the only the husband here this morning who longs to treasure his wife, to tell her how precious she is to him, but, but just seems to un, unable to do that. Just, just nags. Or am I the only friend here this morning who, who when, when we get that email from a mate, we think, oh, I've just not been in contact with them for the last six months, and you hear of the tragedy that's gone in their life, and you realize you've just been thinking about your own life. They've not even crossed your mind. Or am I the only 48-year-old child here this morning who still manages to behave like a 12-year-old sometimes when in the presence of their mother or sister? I know what I want to do, but I just can't do it. I know who I want to be, 
I know how I want to love. I know how I want to behave. But verse 19, for what I, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. You see, this is not just a tongue twister. This is a miserable life. I, Paul says, in my inner being, now indwelt by God's Spirit, I have the genuine desire to, to be the man that the Lord Jesus calls me to be. But I've got within me still my sinful nature, my, my selfish desires, and I can't get rid of them. It's like a computer virus that's invaded us. It's in every area of our lives. God has changed our operating system from just ignore and hate him to I want to love and obey him. But the virus is still everywhere. It impairs all our functions. We can't operate as we've been programmed by God. And you and I are not strong enough to kill off sin in any area of our life. We can't do it. Now, I was pretty down at the end of last summer, and that was because I got locked into this life, locked into Romans 7, the second half. It's very subtle. It can be very subtle. You know, I get up early in the morning, I read the Bible, because I'm a pastor. That's what we do. It's what you should be doing. Get on with it. Okay? I confess my sins to God. I was pouring out my heart to the Lord about the way I'd failed, my anger, my self-centeredness. I've admitted to people I only have two operating functions. I'm either passive-aggressive or aggressive. There's nothing else. And then, then I go out fully charged up to live the life I wanted to live. And within five minutes in the kitchen, I'd lost my rag with the kids or I was nagging Boo about something and felt totally wretched again. And that's the word Paul uses. Do you see that word, verse 21 to 23? He says, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right beside me. It's there within me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Who here this morning doesn't think that the law of God is a good idea? I mean, if you boil it down to its simple level, who thinks loving God and loving neighbor is a bad concept? None of us do. We all want to be kind, patient, loving, gentle. If you don't want to be those things, well, you've got a problem I can't help you with. We want to be that, but we can't pull it off. Uh, there's a brutal battle going on. But I see another law at war work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a, a prisoner of the law of sin with a work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Not, not just simply a physical body that will die, but trapped, a prisoner in a life you cannot break free from. A life that knows Christ died for me, but I keep doing the things he died for. I want to love God, but I keep doing the things he hates. I want to be different. As we finish, let, let me introduce you to three people. Mr. or Mrs. or Ms. Legalism. Mr. or Mrs. License and Mr. and Mrs. Christian. Now, now, Mr. and Mrs. Legalism, they think their relationship with God is, is based on their performance, on, on keeping a law. They, they tend to focus on what they've done rather than what they have failed to do. 
And uh, Mr. Legalism, he doesn't feel wretched about himself because he generally thinks he's not all that bad. He's certainly not as bad as they are. Because Mr. Legalism is an absolute expert on other people's sin. Oh, he can say, yes, I'm a sinner. But he just can't stop himself pointing out how everyone else is slightly worse than him. Do you know, I go to the prayer meeting. They don't. Well, I would have gone to the prayer meeting, but I had another meeting, which allows me still to feel self-righteous about the people who went to the prayer meeting when I didn't go to it. Complicated, eh? That's what Mr. Legalism is like. And the great thing about Mr. Legalism, he's at church every week. He's at every single meeting he can be at but he's joyless. Day by day, he is joyless because it's all about him and he doesn't see how serious his sin is. So he doesn't feel how beautiful God's love is and therefore he is joyless. And if that is you, if you sit here this morning joyless in the Christian life because you you feel other people are, are worse people than you are, it's a dangerous place to be. Now, then there's Mr. or Mrs. License, Mr. or Mrs. License. And they know oh, the law of God isn't really that important because God is love. And it doesn't really matter what we do. He forgives us anyway. So they don't feel wretched because feeling wretched is bad. I mean, modern psychologists say feeling wretched is bad. And that's because they don't see how serious God's law is. Oh, they're not at church very often at all because it doesn't matter. Because again, because they don't see how serious God's law is, they don't see how serious it is that they don't keep it, therefore they feel no felt need for Jesus. So they think, I don't have to go to church. God loves me anyway. They're not thinking, oh Lord, I need to hear of your love this week. Because you are so beautiful and you care for me so much. How could you love a sinner like me? I want to be with you. I want to gather with your people. You see, neither Mr. Legalism feels the need of Jesus, but, but neither does Mr. License. And that's a dangerous place to be as well. But, but Mr. Ms. Christian, they cry, verse 24. What a wretched person I am who will rescue me from this body of death because, because they are free to acknowledge what they're really like. They can see God has this beautiful, perfect law, but daily they can see that they fail to keep it. They are bad at the core of their beings. They are selfish. But here's the key thing. Here is the absolute key thing. If that is you today as a Christian trying to live for the Lord Jesus God doesn't want you to stay in Romans 7.24. He doesn't want you to be there. He, he wants you to come through Romans 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you notice how Jesus wasn't in verses 14 to 24? It's the Christian life without Jesus. I've got to be a better person. I've got to try harder. I've got to be a better person. I've failed. I've got to be a better person. I've failed. I've got to be a better person. I've failed. That's the Christian life without Jesus. But, but actually, we've got to go to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who rescues us. You see, if I, if I keep looking at myself, I will only feel wretched. If I try to follow Jesus by keeping his commands in my strength, I will feel only a failure. And that will be my experience day in, day out. But Romans 7 is there to take you to Romans 8. You're to feel wretched, and then you're to explode out of the end of Romans 7 into Romans 8. Paul says, in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. The 8-1, therefore, there is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So don't condemn yourself. God's not condemning you for your failure. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so condemned sin in sinful flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's the beginning of next week's sermon. Here's the key thing to know. What Paul is saying is this. You weren't just saved by grace. Brought into a relationship with God through the free gift of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. No, you are sustained in that relationship by grace. That you live the Christian life by going to Christ and through His Spirit that has been poured into your heart, you find all the strength you need to please Him day by day there. So, so don't hang around in Romans 7. Don't hang around feeling sorry for yourself. Go to Romans 8. Don't try and live the Christian life with your eyes fixed on yourself, not Jesus. The strength is not in you. The power is not in you. You're much worse than you really think you are. And the law is much harder than you really think it is. But Christ has died and borne all that law for you. So you're no longer condemned by it. Do not condemn yourself. And he's poured his spirit into your hearts. So he is your loving husband who changes your desires and gives you the strength to live for him. But you need him. Every single day you need him. Every single day you've got to depend on him. Because without him, life is going to be wretched. Romans 8. Come with me next week to Romans 8. It's a precious place to be. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you. Your word is so realistic. It speaks into the reality of our lives, our experience. And it shows us how without Christ we're lost. Oh, Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus. We praise you for the one who died for us, and we praise you that we died with him, and now we are joined to him, the one who's been raised to life, so that as he lives forever, we will live forever in this beautiful, perfect new relationship. And we praise you that all the strength to live that relationship is found in him, in his spirit, in dwelling our hearts. Please, our Father, as your Spirit works within us, would we long more and more to be those who reflect your perfect good law in our lives? But would we not look to ourselves to do that? Would we look to only the strength Jesus gives in his precious name? Amen.